Welcome back, subscribers, loyal listeners, and friends of the show. And a special welcome to you, the new listener. You've tuned in to the Minds on B2B podcast. You've decided to spend a few minutes of your day listening to me and our guest. It's my job to make sure it's worth your while. So if that's my job, what's your job? Well, your job is to listen, stay informed, learn something new, and perhaps run with a new idea shared by one of our guests. After this episode, or after you've binged several, reach out to me and let me know how we're doing. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at dan.harris at mindson.com. I'd love to hear from you. Tell me what you think about the show. And uh, if you're interested, maybe be on the show. Because you know what we say at Minds On? All of our minds together are better than any one mind alone. Hello, everyone. This is Dan Harris. I'm the host of Minds On B2B. And in this episode, I've invited Joe Paluzzi, the founder of Content Marketing Institute, to join us on the podcast today. He's going to share his journey from the very, very beginning when he wrote down on a napkin what he was going to accomplish. And what he's accomplished is building one of the largest content marketing events in the world called Content Marketing World. And he's done so much more. So we're thrilled to have you on the show, and I'm going to talk a lot about all those things, Joe. But welcome to the show. Dan, thanks so much. It's a pleasure being on. Hopefully we didn't bore too many people there with the with the upfront, but I'm certainly having a great time. Uh, you know, a lot of people think I'm in retirement now, but it's just, you know, doing different things after Content Marketing Institute and just having a blast spending time with the family. Yeah. What's interesting to me is how quickly it seems that you built this business up and transformed what people think about content in the marketing sense. So can you talk a little bit about that journey and, you know, how did it start? How did you progress? You know, what hurdles did you overcome? And uh, just tell us the story. They won't be yeah. bored. Yeah, I give you the five minute overview. You know, it's funny you say quickly because the world and, and it happened so quickly and I'm thinking like, oh my God, it was such a difficult and challenging journey. Uh, it started, I started working at a media company called Penton Media, uh, now owned by Informa, big media company. Uh, but at the time it was a large media company, $350 million B2B media company. They had about 50, 60 different magazines going at the time. And I was lucky enough to be hired into their custom publishing division, which and now we call content marketing. I didn't know what it was at the time, Dad. I'm just like, this is great. I'm going to be in marketing and sales. This is fantastic. And then I learned about it, which is the whole idea. Well, instead of buying advertising and you know, all these, all the customers of Pet Media, they were buying booths and they were buying uh, print advertising and sponsorships and all those kinds of things. And what we did is we would go into large B2B companies like Microsoft and Parker Hannafin, and we would create custom print magazines on an ongoing basis that didn't talk about their products and services that really focused on the needs of the audience. And I thought this was just the greatest way to communicate ever. I'm like, well, what, what's better than not interrupting your customers, actually giving them something that they want and helping you sell more in the process. I'm like, this is, this is it. This has got to be the future. So I stayed with Pent Media, um, you know, ended up running the department in 2007 had that itch to start my own thing. And I'm like, okay, content marketing is the future. We got Google coming out, you know, search engines are big. Social media is just taking off. Twitter and Facebook have, have launched. 
I'm like, boy, more and more people are going to have to create their own content because you've got all these channels. So this thing called content marketing was going to be a big thing. Well, the first thing I did besides starting the business, I said, well, I've, we've got to change the perception of custom publishing, custom media, because when I would go into chief marketing officers and I'd say custom publishing, they'd already be yawning. I mean, they're, they're half asleep uh. because <laughs> it wasn't sexy. They're thinking, oh, print magazine, you know, what publishing, what are we talking about here? But as I learned, you know, hanging around more sales and marketing professionals, you know, if you're in marketing, you've got to call it marketing for them to be interested in it, whether it's direct marketing or search marketing, whatever it is. And I said, well, why don't we call this thing content marketing and started to throw around the term and started a blog in 2007. And lucky enough, more and more of the community started to, to sort of take on that moniker as their own. And through the blog, we were building up more and more of an audience. And in 2010, we, you know, I had a couple, I had quite a few different business ideas that I was working. I was, we were doing some blog, blogging for other companies. I was doing some consulting. I started a matching product between brands and agencies for, for content marketing matching. That didn't work. And then finally in late <laughs> 2009, before I gave up entirely because we were just bleeding through money, it was terrible. And I started to really look at what my readers, my blog readers were asking for. And they were asking for, you know, can, can we get any training on content marketing, Joe? This is really taken off. Is there any events? I need more information on how to do this correctly. Is there anything? And there really wasn't. So in 2010, we formally created, May of 2010, the Content Marketing Institute. And I wrote down on a, remember, it was a cocktail napkin and I wrote it down and this was in the fall of 2009. And I said, we are going to create the leading destination online for content marketing. We're going to create the largest in-person event for content marketing, and we're going to create the leading print publication for content marketing. And we did all those things. And we probably accomplished that by 2013. And by then things were just going crazy. The event was growing and we had in 2015, we had almost 4,000 attendees at the event. And the goal was, Dan, the goal was always to sell the business. My wife and I were, you know, we had a goal from the beginning back in 2007 that if this, this thing was going to get to a certain level, we were going to sell it. And then we were approached by uh, a number of companies and sold to UBM in 2016. I stayed with the company for a year and a half and in January 1st of 2018, went on, a, went on my sabbatical and it's been just a wonderful year, almost year and a half now. I've been doing writing and speaking and working with, as you said, with the nonprofit Orange Effect Foundation and spending a lot of time with my my two teenage boys. And it's just been, you know, it was a lot of hard work, <laughs> but <laughs> but we made we made it, thankfully. And uh, but it was just interesting to see the evolution of content marketing from nothing. Nobody wanted to do it to this is really going to be something. And then really the, the best part of Content Marketing Institute was, was that event bringing people from 60 different countries together every September. Yeah, it's, it, well, it's interesting because I was a part of that group. I was uh, leading a digital team, a web team, and you know, we were starting to read things about it um, you know, as early as like 2004. And, um, I guess the question, were there other contributing factors? Because this seemed like it was a wave. You know, it was a wave that took a long time to get to where it is today. 
but where they're contributing factors, contributing platforms, um, other things that, that help you ride that wave to success. Well, it's interesting. I'm a big history buff. And I mean, we, you can go back 400, 500 years and find examples of content marketing, whether you look at Ben Franklin did a number of content marketing projects. I always love the yeah. case study from John Deere, the Furrow Magazine from 1895. That's still going on today. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of them. But the real thing that changed everything was the, that you could access audiences. One is you could access audiences online for uh, not nearly as much money, and it was much easier to build an audience online. And the other thing is that there was so much information out today. The the control left the trade magazines. If we're talking specifically B two B, it left the trade media and went directly to the reader, to the person engaged and that content because they could go anywhere, they could get anything they wanted to, and they weren't just relying on one or two sources. So it really was more democratic where any company, no matter if you're a media company or not, you could create really good information, build an audience, and help it build your business. And that really started to take place 2004, 2005, 2006. And then it was sort of this buildup from 07 to 09 because we were in this recession and nobody was investing in anything at that time and once that recession broke and you could feel it it was the it was about january or february 2010 where people started to spend money they started to make decisions about spending their money differently and they said no, i'm not going to do that trade show booth i'm not going to spend money on that print advertising i think we're going to do something digital and that digital became i'm going to create blog posts i want to do our own webinars i want to create our own audience i want to create our email newsletter i want to do something and, and create a direct relationship with audiences. And it just seemed to take off from there. And it's been sort of riding that wave ever since then. And, and the only thing that really stops a lot of these companies are they, they don't know how to differentiate themselves in a lot of cases, which is a problem. And they don't consistently yep. deliver. And we could probably talk about that a little bit, but those are the, those are the big issues. But that, it was sort of waiting. It was all cooped up. And then we just realized, oh, my God, there's a million channels out there we can reach our audiences at. And the audience at the same time said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to waste my time on going through pop-ups or information I don't like because I don't have to do that anymore. I can go wherever that's going to help me, whatever's going to help me live a better life, get a better job or whatever the case is. Yeah. And I think the, uh, I think the trend I saw, too, like you mentioned earlier, you know, Google, Bing, Yahoo, you know, all those, all those different search engines started to say, how do we index all this content and how do we define which is better, which is good, um, how it impacts how things are found. And I, so I think the search engines, to me, just looking back at why we made decisions to move in the content world uh, was one aspect. And then the other aspect was the buyer was changing, you know, in B2B, the buyer groups you know, five to seven people were looking for, searching for, and the first place they go were the search engines. Instead of going to the website or hunting something down, they had to find it through digital means. So, yeah, it was it was a fascinating time. It was moving fast, trying to be agile, and then thinking about where you spent your money, as you mentioned, uh, was key. And I, it's funny you mentioned Benjamin Franklin because that whole uh, pseudonym name, he was writing under... Uh, uh, Mr. Do Good, I think Silence yep, Do Good, exactly. if I remember correctly, right? So he's <laughs> creating a different persona. Um, 
just to get his message across, which was fascinating. So if anybody well, yeah. hasn't read about Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin, that's so, they definitely yeah, should. It's so fascinating, but poor Richard's Almanac, which is, you know, the print Almanac, <laughs> it was, he created that so that he could drive his print business, his press business. Yeah. He's like, he's yeah. like, I've got to show that people can actually print stuff and, but we need content. So he says, I'm going to create this Almanac and I'm going to print it. And so that people start getting the idea that they should do this. And like yeah. that, <laughs> that's not content marketing. I don't know what is. So it's just it's just fascinating that a lot of people think it's a it's a new thing and it's just been around forever. It's just, just that the the control has changed so much to uh, the the buyer, if you will. Great point. Yeah, yeah. The message, the message too. Um, so when you think about content, uh, as you were going through this process and you were working with companies, I mean. What was the trend as they started publishing content? Was it a product, company, feature, uh, or was it truly, you know, customer-focused, problem-solving, those types of things? Or have you seen that change over time? Well, you've got – it really has a lot to do with the culture of the organization. I mean, we mentioned John Deere, specifically targeted at, at business owner farmers, so it's B2B publication. And over the hundred years, they barely talked about their products and services. They really felt that if we add value and help farmers be better farmers, be better business people, that they're going to end up buying more John Deere products and services. And that's exactly what they do. But if you go to a, a product driven company, uh, they will want to create all kinds of content about themselves oh, let's create more about this product and that product and get it out there. And so that will create a, you know, let's take it back to 2007, 2008. They said, we're going to do a blog and we're going to start blogging all about our product and service. But, and I would tell them, well, nobody's going to care about that. Nobody cares about your products and services. They only care about themselves. So what are you going to do to get them to care about you? You can't just talk about yourself. So in, in that case, Dan, when I would go in, I would almost be, I don't need to deal with this company because they need to change themselves. They need to change what they think about the relationship they want with their customers and what kind of experience they want to deliver. Because if you don't have that, you're, you're going to want to always talk about yourself. But if you say, hey, we want to create better customers, if we think about it that way, then you, you open up all kinds of opportunities for great awareness experiences and, and great buying experiences or great loyalty experiences, depending on what you want to do. So that's where I really want to look when I'm meeting with a chief marketing officer and say, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you want to teach your customers? What do you want? What's the message? What's the story you want to tell? And if they're really focused on, we got to hit this deadline and we got to sell X more widgets before next quarter, I'm like, you know what? You might just want to buy everything advertising which is by the way there's nothing wrong with it. there's nothing wrong right. you can go interrupt all the people you want to and it still works in a lot of cases but if you're going to spend all this time and energy on trying to build an asset like let's say a content brand where you have people going to and you're going to build an audience and that audience you want that audience to change their behavior that takes a that's a lot of pain and suffering that has you have to go through because it's a culture change it's it's you're selling differently you're selling without selling and it's hard for a lot of product-focused people to do that. So that's sort of what I look at. And that, so it really has nothing to do with content marketing. It has to do with how we view our customers. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's an interesting kind of segue uh, into your book, Killing Marketing. <laughs> um, because, I, you know, in the book, you're talking about, you know, what's holding you back. The world's changing. You need to innovate more. 
Um, and there's a different way to do it. And I think you've brought up a couple times value. And um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the book and, and how you came up with the title and yeah. where you see market organizations going? It's so funny. We, we were going through a lot of different titles on it. And then we came up with Killing Marketing, which I thought was fantastic because we're we're not saying we want to kill marketing. I mean, Robert Rose, my co-author and I, we're the biggest proponents of marketing itself. But what we, <laughs> we learn through this process. And what I mean by that is, if you look back 100 or so years before we had all these different channels, we really did focus on value. We really did focus on the relationships we had with customers and what kind of value can we bring to our customers outside of the products and services that we offer, very specifically. So we used to focus on great service and doing things and communicating in a different way and what we told that customer on a regular basis. And then we got into, let's say, into the 50s, 60s, and 70s, into the age of mass media, and a lot of companies lost that. And we said, well, shoot. And by the way, it was a great move in a lot of cases. You want to sell a lot of toilet paper, you want to sell a lot of soap, you know, you're going you're gonna to go ahead and you're going to blast out advertising to them as much as possible. Interrupt, 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 and it worked really, really well. And then we got into that as we've been talking, the 90s and 2000s, and it doesn't work as well anymore. And we sort of forgot that we've got to deliver this value. And what we're trying to make the case for in Killing Marketing is what, what do we, we need to go back to driving that value. And what can you do to drive that ongoing value outside your products and services? Well, you have to communicate differently. Well, and that's why we make the case for, hey, this content marketing thing is a pretty darn good option. Maybe you should look at it. And then we go a little bit further and say, well, what does a company that focuses on content marketing look like in the next year, five years, 10 years? And that's where we bring out a lot of the case studies where you see, you know, the future of media companies, they're not in media, they're not media companies. They're in yeah. large, you know, the, whether if you look at Microsoft as a B2B company or not, or you look at, we have, it's a great case study on Aero Electronics, the John Deere's of the world, you got you, the Cisco Systems, the Intels, what are they doing? They're trying to build audiences, they're trying to build content brands, and from that, they're creating all kinds of value, not only for their customers and helping them you know, be more educated or make better buying decisions, but they're creating all types of new revenue opportunities, new product development opportunities, new research opportunities that they never had before because they're so close to the customer. So that's kind of what we see is, I mean, it's not that killing marketing is a new concept. It, it's not at all. But when we go into chief marketing officers of large B2B companies, we find them in a lot of case, they're so short-term focused and they lost their way where I believe the innovative companies of the world are going to really be focused on content marketing. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the other, the other thing I've seen, I've, you know, I've been doing this for about 20 years now and where marketing gets funded and where marketing is aligned with sales is changing and evolving over time as a part of this. So that whole idea of killing marketing the way it was and aligning to the new way based on a buyer journey and the value proposition focused on the buyer makes a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I know we could talk for hours about that because Oh, shoot. Yeah. But, we could have a whole different, talk, a whole separate conversation on sales and marketing alignment and content yeah. marketing because it's, yeah. 
that's a huge issue because you got to, I mean, we won't go that far into it, but if you look at <laughs> marketing people creating content, if they are not communicating with the sales team and how the sales team can leverage that content to sell more on their own behalf, you're, boy, you're missing a huge opportunity. And we, in the largest B2B companies, you see that and is the big mistake that they're making is you have marketing that's creating all this content in a silo. Sales doesn't really care. It doesn't feel that marketing's helping them at all. And they actually, in a lot of cases, will create their own content outside of marketing. So you've got all this content being created by these different, two different departments that don't like each other, that aren't that are working with each other. And you just, and who, who gets hurt in this whole process? The customer. Yes, yes. They are confused um, and it positions the brand in a really sticky situation. If sales promises something or says something, that marketing is crafted and put into market in a different way, and your competitors don't and they're aligned, it's a competitive advantage. So, yeah, I... Totally, totally agree with well, that. And, and I know, and I know you love the how-to stuff, Dan. So, like, just a, a yeah. fix it that we've seen. Xerox has done a really good job of this. They had problems like this, and what they ended up doing is, is that the marketing team every week would put an email, once a week email together to sales, and they said, "Here's what we've created this week." this month, whatever the case is for content, whether it's a webinar, whether it's a white paper, and this is how you can use it. Very, very simple. And because what what will happen is they'll put it up on their, um, they'll put it up in the cloud somewhere, and they expect sales to find it, <laughs> which sales yeah. are not, sales, sales are not going to find that. They're not even going to pay attention yeah. to that. But if you say, look, here's two, keep the email short. Here's two or three things you need to know about the content, about the marketing assets we've created, and here's how to use it. It can solve a lot of those problems. I see that happen a lot with our clients. I mean, they'll spend all this money and all this time creating content for their customers, but in the real world, the sales team is their internal customer, and they should be doing what you said. Makes total sense. This was a tremendous episode, and I truly enjoyed learning more about Joe, his team, and the journey at CMI, getting a history lesson on Benjamin Franklin, and really the real reason Benjamin Franklin created the Farmer's Almanac, uh, so he could, he could sell more printing machines. I also walked away from this conversation with a great perspective on why you create content. The two things Joe mentioned that caught my attention were you create content to deliver value, number one. And when you deliver that value, you build community. And as an end result of your efforts, you're truly successful. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. So Joe and I also talked post-show about the Orange Effect Foundation. I was very, very moved, and after that conversation, I decided that I would do a complete episode with Joe and his wife to learn more about their foundation and kind of help spread the word and help be a voice for a good cause. Now, if you'd like to get a hold of Joe, get in contact with him, visit his site, uh, joepelluzzi.com. That's J-O-E-P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I.com. To order his book, Killing Marketing or Content, Inc., you can find them both on Amazon. Thank you so much for listening and look forward to hearing Joe and his wife talk about the Orange Effect Foundation. Until next time, have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's Minds On B2B podcast. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe. Also, feel free to share this episode with your peers and colleagues so we can keep bringing you quality content from the best minds in B2B. Until next time, from all of us at Minds On, have a great week.